Welcome to our podcast, Don't Be Denied. I'm Jordan Shields, and I'm with my co-host, Dr. Alan Farron. Today, for fun, we thought we would take apart a particular appeal process we were involved in for a client of mine. It started with our agency and me, and then we needed to bring in Dr. Farron to help us with some of the particulars that were required. The background is fairly simple. We had a client whose daughter had to go to school in Utah, which as soon as he said that, I knew that there was a psychological problem because that's what those schools in Utah are about. Behavioral problems, problem children, kidnapping children in the middle of the night, this kind of thing. This was more serious than that. This was a child who has suicidal ideation, was having a mental breakdown, a mental collapse, a psychological collapse, and he needed to send her to a facility that will be able to take care of it and happen to be out of state. The carrier decided that the claim was not covered. Now, as a little bit of background, there are two things you need to know here. Number one, that any psychiatric or psychological claims with any carrier, any time, are a gigantic pain in the rear. Carriers don't trust them, don't like them, don't want to pay them. It's that simple. I've never had a therapy or a psych claim go through easily, quickly, or simply, especially when they get up into big dollars. Carriers put some limits on them. They say, this is how much we're going to pay per visit. This is how many visits we're going to allow for the year. They also say it has to be medically necessary. So there has to be a diagnosis provided by a physician that's allowed to make that diagnosis. And then it might be covered subject to the limits. When you're dealing with inpatient care, it's a lot more expensive, it's a lot more serious, and it's a lot more difficult to get the claim paid. Now, certain states, and California is one of them, they have a law that says that there are six particular diagnoses where if that diagnosis is given, it must be treated as any other medical situation. Uh, schizophrenia is an example. If it isn't in one of those six, now the carrier can decide whether they want to pay it or not. That kind of sets the stage. The other part that you need to know is that the carrier is not necessarily the one making the determination and the decision as to the validity of the claim. For example, if you had take a prescription drug, it's not the carrier that's deciding whether that drug is covered. It's a pharmacy benefit manager that gave the guidelines to the carrier to decide whether that drug is going to be appropriate. Some vendors have vendor management for lab and x-ray and so on that may make some determinations outside what the carrier does. And in psychotherapy, you typically have an outside entity that the carrier is hired to go ahead and survey all those claims. And that's what happened here. So I got an email from the client. I'm not getting this claim paid. Can you help me? Yes. Got on the phone. We talked about it. My daughter, the situation, and so on. Send me the paperwork that you have so I know what we're talking about. He sent me the explanation of benefits that he received from the carrier. And it was, this is not medically necessary. This doesn't meet our treatment guidelines. And what that means is the information we have from you is not sufficient for us to determine whether or not we can pay this claim. It isn't saying no, it's not saying yes, but it is saying you have more work to do. That's what I told him. You have more work to do. Why is she there? When did she go there? How long has she been there? How much did it cost? What doctor was making the referral? Who was doing the intake? What's the facility's accreditation? How do we know this facility is actually a medical facility? What kind of treatment is she getting on site? What kind of treatment is 
psychotherapy and what kind of treatment is psychiatry? Who's administering the medications? What kind of medications she's taking? Why is she taking the medications? And so on. And those are just questions, just like now, all off the top of my head. And he was like, that's a lot of stuff. I said, yeah, because if you want us to file an appeal for this claim, I need all that information. Then I said, now, when I get all that information, I am pretty qualified to look at it from a carrier standpoint and see what they want. But from a medical standpoint, I'm not. So I have an associate, Dr. Alan Farron, and he helps me with these medical appeals. So once he sent me all that information, then I sent it to Alan to take a look at. And here's what Alan said. I said, why are you sending me all of this information? on this terrible case, and it was a terrible case. I knew from the start that there had to be a way that we could overturn this denial and win an appeal. The unfortunate thing is that for the most part, all these, I referred to them as carve-outs because that's my background when I was a chief medical officer, but these are the companies that are outsourced to by health plans to manage their behavioral health issues. And in this particular case, these carve-outs tend not to like residential treatment center, in other words, inpatient stays that are typically weeks or a month. But the advantage of a residential treatment center is that for the right person, it's really the only place that they should be because of the services that are available that can be given to them 24-7 and the framework that can be put around them and all the resources that are immediately available. I have some personal experience with this with my own family member, so I'm well aware of how these things work. I took a look at the voluminous information that Jordan dropped on me via email and started walking through and seeing the history of this young lady and also what was done, where it was done, and the fact that there was such a high recidivism rate for her. She ran away from one of the facilities. She self-harmed in another facility. The self-harm was really a way for attention and it wasn't clear that she would go through with a major suicide but she threatened and she was also a danger to others and when you see these hallmarks this is someone that really needs more than what they were recommending which is so-called partial hospitalization where someone spends part of the day in the hospital and then they get services that are supposedly helpful as an outpatient This could be the psychotherapy. This could be other forms of therapy that supposedly will help these people return back to a normal thought pattern and be productive in society. I isolated the things that were of concern to me and I wrote back to the person that had asked for our assistance and said, these are the things that I need further. I need this specific information from your doctors. Sign a release, have it sent to me so I can see what they are saying, not what the health plan says that they're saying. And go ahead, Jordan, you can go from there. In the meantime, I made this as dire and brutal as I could because nobody's benefiting if you're not telling the truth. I asked him, I said, your daughter really need to be there? Is this really as serious as you say it is? 
Is this just a bunch of doctors writing up a bunch of stuff so they can go ahead and get paid? Did they tell you that this would be no problem and that they deal with insurance companies all the time and this was no sweat? He said, yeah. Yeah, they told me it's no problem. I said, well, they were wrong. They did not now lie to you, but they are just like, as long as you're paying it, we don't care. I said, we need to be brutally honest with each other here. I need to know that she really needs to be there. He said, suicidal ideation, self-harm, violent behavior alcohol and drug abuse and on down the line. So it was clear that this kid was messed up. While Alan was looking at the 50 pound bomb I dropped on him, then I was calling the insurance carrier. That was fun. And then also this carve out provider. And I said, so what exactly is your problem with this claim? Well, it's not medically necessary. Says who? Well, she doesn't really need to be there. I said, according to, well, we don't really see it. I said, all right, let me stop and ask you this. How much information are you considering in making your judgment about this claim? Do you have all the medical records from the facility? No. Do you have all the chart notes and medical records from the doctors? No. Have you received anything from the original referring physician? No. Have you seen an appeal letter from her father? No. So you made a determination basically on the absence of information, you didn't have enough to make a proper decision on this claim. And that's why you denied it. Wouldn't that be correct? Yes. Okay, great. Good start. And this happens a lot. If I don't have sufficient information, I'm going to push it back to you and say, I don't have enough information. They don't say that. They just say claim denied. But what it means is we don't have enough information. When I called the psychiatric carve-out center, they basically said this had to be pre-authorized and we didn't get an authorization request. And normally we don't allow this because it's not considered a psychiatric disorder. I said, I don't understand. What would you consider a psychiatric disorder if this is not one of those? Well, it has to have a formal diagnosis. And I said, great, what diagnosis are you seeking? Well, we can't really say that. I said, how about paranoid schizophrenia? Does that work for you? Well, yeah, that works for us. Great. So I called the client back and said, does she have paranoid schizophrenia? He said, no. I said, well, give me a, a real bad one. And he, I don't remember exactly what he said, but we kind of worked it out. And then we pushed it back over to Alan because now it's going back in the medical field. And this is where things get a little bit tricky. And I'll just I'll talk about some other claims just for a second. I had a conversation with a client the other day, and she was not sure how to do this claim. It was something that's right on the border about whether it's covered or not. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll write a letter for your doctor to review, and then they can send it in so we can appeal this with the very first claim, because we knew it was going to be a little tricky. And she said, I talked to the doctor, and the doctor said, I'm not comfortable with having somebody else wordsmith my documents and then having me sign off. And I said, stop right there. I'm not trying to write the doctor's letter for them, but I wanna set the framework for it so I can hit the keywords and the key phrases that are necessary for a claims examiner to look at this claim favorably. And I'll leave sufficient blank spots for the doctor to fill in what's appropriate and add whatever addenda is required. So I'm not trying to do the doctor's job. I'm not trying to speak for them. But I also don't want to wait six months for the doctor to get around to writing a letter. They're busy. And so whatever I can do to smooth the way 
is what I'm trying to do here. And that's what we brought in Alan. And now we go back over to Alan. With the information that they didn't have, we filled in the blanks. I had the individual making the appeal write the letter, include the information that I had called out of each of the pieces of the physician statements, the psychiatric social worker statements, and the key words like Jordan had indicated were all there. I had all the pieces. And then I said, let's look at what their guidelines were. And they use something called LOCUS. It's the location of care utilization system. It's a way of looking at what services do they need? Do they need to be partial hospitalization? Do they need no hospitalization? Do they need full hospitalization? And why? What are the things that are necessary? I took that whole locus and I wrote, here's the reason why they need to be in full hospitalization. These are the resources that they need to help this young lady. These are the diagnoses that confirm why she needs to be in the residential treatment center. As he gave our client this information, the client wrote the letter. This is the other service we provide. We are also really good editors. So he sends me this letter, which is about this thick and on and on the whole history of the world. And I said, look, when you're sending this to somebody, all they're going to read are the first three paragraphs. You have to tell them what, you have to tell them what you want, you have to tell them why you want it, and you have to tell them when you expect it, something like that. You got to spell it out for them. See appendix. That will give you all the information. The appendices need to be clearly labeled. This is the medical background. This is the stay background. These are the chart notes. These are the referral notes and so on. I said, write a letter that is short, sweet, and compelling. He said, can you do that? I said, sure. I rewrote the letter and I made it basically three paragraphs and said, this is your letter. Information attached. You do not want to have a whole narrative because then not only does nobody want to read it, but they're not really sure how to read it. A six-page narrative summary of what's going on, and they have to read it from beginning to end, they're lost. Because remember, you know the claim. They don't. And they don't want to spend a lot of time learning it. Cover letter, bullet points. I am attaching the following in this order, which are to give you this information. Make it easy for them if you want them to do anything for you. Still denied. Still denied. Still denied. It was a great letter, though, but it was still denied. Still good denied. Jo- good job, Jordan. Fortunately, there is an option that's available depending upon the health plan, and that's called Independent Medical Review, or IMR. This is a group of same type specialists, so obviously psychiatrists, that provide a service where you send them all the information and they render a determination. And their determination is final. It has to be accepted by the health plan. Before we go there, I should mention one thing that sometimes the middle step we would take would be to write directly to the medical director, which we did in this case, but the medical director said, we have this outside entity, we have this carve out. And so they also pointed us to the independent medical review. So that way they didn't have to take responsibility for something that was really outside the scope of their expertise. They were not well-equipped to deal with psychiatric. So they had to take someone else's word for it. So we said, no, we need to go to the IMR. Yeah, and the importance of the IMR is A, that they're independent, B, their decision and determination is final, and C, it does not cost the clients any money at all. I had the individual send me 
the last set of records because I had the previous set and I combed through all of them and using my experience and knowledge, put together what I felt were all the components that he needed to write that letter. Again, we try to encourage our clients to write their letter, but we will then edit it accordingly. He had already learned that we wanted to keep things simple, that we wanted to use the appendix format. And he wrote the letter and sent it to me and said, what do you think? And I didn't tell him it was not a very good letter. I rewrote the entire letter, reset the appendix, and off it went to IMR. And after probably, what, two or three months, we finally got a response and they sided with us and the client and this $100,000 plus appeal was overturned. And he's a happy guy. And we charged him for Alan's service. I didn't charge him for my time because he was a client, but I said, we're going to charge you extra for this. Is it worth your while to spend this money if we can get the claim overturned and have it come to you? And he said for a hundred thousand bucks. Yeah. So what did we charge him? 99.5, something like that? A little less. Yeah, something like $2,000 to have it all done, which was still underpricing it. But that's an example of the service we did. Now, the coda to the story is happy client, happy father. And I keep up to date with them because it turns out we have some mutual friends, which I didn't know when we started this conversation. And so he's kept me up to date. She's doing well. She is out of the facility. She is back to the partial hospitalization, outpatient therapy, and so on. She's living on her own in Utah. She has a roommate. She has a job. She's becoming productive. She's still a little on the edge, but that's being managed with a little bit of medication and also some therapy. So he's very hopeful and he sees a slow climb upward for her. Was the facility necessary? Yes. Was the treatment necessary? Yes. Did it help to save a life? Yes. Did it help her make it more productive and to be able to tame some of the demons that she was fighting all this time? Yes. And was he able to get the money back because everyone finally realized this was necessary? Yes. Total time elapsed, 14 months. But we did it. We got it. And was there a lot of stress? Yes. Yes. And was there a lot of yelling at the client saying, you haven't got the letter right? He was stressed out too, but he's like, okay, I'm in your hands. And he said to me at the end, he said, by the way, whose other hands could I have been in? I said, nobody. I don't know many brokers that would take the extra steps. I don't know many doctors that are independent that would take the extra steps. Without some kind of medical advocacy, without some kind of support, you never would have gotten this claim paid. Not that I was patting myself on the back. It just, I know the profession I'm in. I know the people I'm working against. You see some institutions come out and they advertise. We provide personal and customized care and we'll do this and we'll do that. And they do. But the problem is that it's all institutionalized and the people that you're dealing with are like, okay, I've got this much of a window and I told you what you need to do and I told you what's going to happen. And they don't take it personally. And I do. I will never give up never give up until the very end when I know for a certainty that something should not, cannot, will not be covered. But I have yet to see claims that are that black and white, except the ones that I already knew were black and white in the first place. That's the kind of service we provide. That's the kind of people we are. And we have a grateful client as a result. So remember, we are at medicalappealexperts.com. For further information, you can write us at info at medicalappealexperts.com. And thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you.
It just makes good sense to have dedicated and experienced professionals at your side when you have a medical insurance claim denial or failed appeal effort. As experts, we are available to help guide you through your complicated, confusing, and often frustrating healthcare journey. Whether through a subscription to our educational series, blog posts, or the use of our custom personalized appeal assistance, we are your best choice to help resolve your insurance carrier denial issues. Connect with us for further information at medicalappealexperts.com.